Awesome. Let's let's get rocking and rolling. Yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully there's something use, useful in there. Oh um, my stop it. <laughs> I, I honestly am like, no one's gonna want to watch this whatsoever. But no, absolutely. Know. This is a topic we have not covered, and it is one that is valuable. So yeah. you wanna listen to it. So. No, I, 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 Welcome to the messy back end of entrepreneurship. This is Mark Deal of Podcast Editor Academy and Podcast Guest Academy. We all know that the back end is where most businesses fail. This is the podcast about cleaning up the messy back end so you can save time, make money, and succeed. I felt it myself due to people, processes, and platforms. And now here are your hosts, Sheila J. Logan and Nate Tucker. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you all so much. We have a wonderful show for you today. If you have a business, did you know that you need to start thinking about your exit strategy right now? Many business owners wait too long and thus they don't get the full value of their businesses when they try to sell it or retire. Jim Rohn once said, either run the day or the day runs you. On our expert segment today, we're going to be speaking with Michael Westover. He's the founder of Business Resource, which helps small and medium-sized businesses properly map out their entire business from scratch, including creating an exit strategy and everything in between. And you'll hear real questions and stories from real entrepreneurs with real messy backends. As an added bonus for the messy backend exposed, our expert Michael will not only share his experience, expertise, and the tools he suggests to get your backend cleaned up, but he will also expose the systems and operations you'll need to have in place to get the most money from your business when you're ready to sell it. If you're an entrepreneur with a mess backend and you would like to submit your story or question for our experts, give us a call at 801-810-6726 or visit us at themessybackend.com. Thank you so much for joining us on today's episode of The Messy Backend, brought to you by our digital marketing agency, Lock and Load Marketing, where if it tires you out, you can hire it out. We're fast approaching episode 100, so we wanted to take a minute and stop and thank you for being such great listeners. Seriously, we can't do this without you. Thank you so much for listening and supporting us these last two years. We've loved sharing our expert guests, our stories, our experiences, our embarrassing, messy backend bloopers with you. We just loved everything about this podcast. And if you love the show as much as we do, we want to hear from you. Leave a review on your favorite podcast platform or email us at hello at themessybackend.com. Who knows? Soon we may just have cool branded swag to give out to our top fans. That's going to be super cool. And don't forget to subscribe to your favorite podcast platform. You can find all of those links at themessybackend.com slash subscribe. So never miss an episode because they're pretty fun. Then check us out on Facebook and YouTube for video episodes. Now on to our expert, Michael Westover, for his expert advice. Don't mess your seat, folks. Here we go. Today, we have one of our messiest back-end questions submitted by one of our listeners. When should I start planning the exit strategy for my business? I'm thinking I want to build this to sell, or at least for sure, I want to be able to retire one day. So when do I start preparing and what should I be sure I have in place when I'm ready to approach a buyer? 
Well, uh, Sheila, Nate, thanks for having me. You guys are awesome. Appreciate all you guys are doing for small businesses and businesses in general. Um, this is actually a really good question and something that most business owners don't think about until it's too late. And so the simple answer to that question is, as soon as you own a business, as soon as you start a business, you should have an exit strategy. So whether you're uh, planning to do this for life for 30 years or whether you're planning to sell in five years, you really need to understand, well, what am I in this for? What am I trying to accomplish? Is it really my passion? Is it what I want to do forever? Or is it really a job that I, I enjoy building different aspects of business or the industry and then you're ready to move on to something else. So like you said, you should be doing it from the beginning. So what it sounds like is if I don't have a, and I say I is in the metaphorical I, the, the grand listener I, you know, um, if, if our listeners, if we don't have an exit strategy right now, no matter what stage our business is in, if, if we've started it, if we're doing our business, we need to back up and we need to create a business, a, an exit strategy doesn't yeah. matter because you said right from the beginning, that's what we need. Yeah. Otherwise you're kind of like Alice in Wonderland, right? You're, you're dealing with these uh, crossroads every day in your business and you're making decisions about the longevity of your business. And let me give you one example. So um, for instance, a lot of small, small businesses, they, they will tend to expense a lot of their, their expenses, right? So that they can pay less taxes. And, and that's that's fine for the moment until you're trying to sell. So if you know you're going to sell in a year or two, you need to start documenting every really only what our business expenses. Otherwise, potential buyers look at your expense list and they're like, "Oh my gosh, this is crazy." There's two, there's you're not making any money in your business. And so you know that's a simple little example, but essentially, yeah, I mean if if you're able to back up and look at the big picture of your life. Is this my life? You know, is it going to be a long time or is this just a little part of my life? And this is a stepping stone to the next part of my life. Then you need to be thinking, okay, then if this is a stepping stone, then I've got to, I've got to get as much money out of this as fast as I can so that I can apply that, those funds to this next stepping stone in my life. So that's a very different strategy than if you're in it because you want to grow personally and professionally and help the the customer base and you're you're fine growing slowly and gradually. It makes perfect sense because it, it's almost like if we, if we look like at some of the business greats, you know, Simon Sinek says you got to start with why. And that is really what you're saying. That's kind of your why. You have to say, well, why are you doing this? What is your plan? If it is to just, you know, flip it, to sell it in three to five years, every single thing that you do in the business is going to be a different why. You know, it's like we need to do the things to get that goal. So, yeah, I think you articulated that perfectly. Thank you for that. The yeah. second part of that that question, you know, what do you what do you need to do to start preparing yourself, your business for sale? Right. Um, another mini example to what I just shared about the expenses are the documenting revenues. A lot of small businesses, they, they tend to take cash from various places and they don't always document it, you know, and I'm, right. I'm not here to judge either way on the revenues or expenses, but mm -hmm. the reality is, you know, 
all, all your revenues need to be documented if you plan on selling that business. Now, no one's going to take your word for it and say, oh, my business is worth this. I'm making all this money. Well, if your P&L doesn't show that you're making money, guess what? <laughs> you know, so I, I think folks need to have a real heart to heart and say, OK, you know, because I need to sell in two or three years, I need to start doing a better job at my bookkeeping, my my accounting. And, and that actually is one of those one of the bigger aspects of of the question that you asked. I think when a lot of people think I'm going to have an exit strategy, they actually don't look at the back end side of the exit strategy. So for me, when I started my woman's network, I knew when I started it that I wanted to build it to a certain level. And then I wanted to exit from it. I still wanted to speak. I still wanted to be a part of it in a way, but I knew what, how I wanted to separate myself from that eventually you know, in 10 years, I mean, I'm, I'm getting up there in age, I'm getting to where now I want to like take some time off and relax and, and not have to do so much. And so I kind of knew where that was going. But with the digital marketing agency, I can't be the face of the company The face the name of my company was my own personal name, you can't exit from that, I needed to have a team that was in place I needed to have systems in place. So that exit strategy is really that's the back end stuff that you've got going on. It's, it's the messy stuff that you deal with on a regular basis, like bookkeeping, that if you don't have it in place, you're not going to be able to exit and you're gonna have all kinds of other problems too. Yeah. And, and I can think of one business in particular right now, that's making a ton of cash. It's a good business. And if he decides to sell it right now and he's, he's entertaining offers, the offers are just probably you know, not even half, a third of maybe what his business is worth, just because he came in late to the game and he's, he's just now realizing, oh, okay, yeah, I've got to, I'm expensing everything and maybe I shouldn't be, oh, I'm not documenting all of my revenues, oh, maybe I should be, you know, oh, I don't have a, a website. Believe it or not, some businesses still don't have websites. And this is a, this is a viable business that brings in over a million dollars in revenue a year. And the expenses aren't really that high and the guy doesn't have a website. So think of it as um, it, it, a lot of people sell, buy and sell homes, right? I've moved personally like five times in my life. And, and you always think about, oh man, maybe I gotta take out that bush in the corner of the property. It's super ugly. Oh man, the front door needs to be painted. And oh, we gotta fix a couple windows. What, I mean, those things are natural, right? We think about those in selling a home, but unfortunately when, when it comes to selling a business, we get so caught up in the day-to-day -day that we can't just walk in and take a 30,000-foot view of the business and say, oh, my gosh. To your point, um, uh, Sheila, uh, you, don't, you do not want to have your name on the business. You do not want to be uh, – the business cannot be dependent on you because if your name's on the business, how, how's that going to work selling it to someone? right? They're going to be like, well, are you staying or not? So, you know, there's some simple things like that, that play a big part. No, totally agree with you. I think there are maybe like a few exceptions, like maybe if it's a restaurant, you know, sometimes restaurants are named after the head people. And then like one of my favorite restaurants still it's, you know, it's named this Italian family name and, you know, it's a pizza place and the original owners aren't even there anymore, but they've kept the brand going. They've kept the authenticity of the pizza and everything. So people are still like, yeah, Casanova bros, that's them. 
even though it's not them anymore, you know, and there are rare exceptions, but if it's, you know, Nate Tucker marketing and then Nate Tucker wants to leave the marketing, they're like, well, why would I hire Nate Tucker marketing if Nate Tucker yeah. isn't even there anymore? It, so, it happens, but yeah. then you have to deal with the next 10 years, people asking you every day, who's Nate Tucker? And, <laughs> right, you know, exactly. On the business. So if you want to try to maximize the value of your business, you want to become as independent as possible. The business needs to not be dependent on you as an owner. And right. so that's really hard for small business owners to, to start putting in processes in place so that they, they can step back and watch the business grow. They've got to be willing to let some of it go. That's a There's pretty good a, sign that your business is not ready to sell if you can't even take a day off. Right. Yeah, yeah. or even a week. Let's be honest. I mean, so maybe not in Christmas season if you're selling widgets, right? Maybe there's a period of time after Thanksgiving where you're not, you know, taking a week off. But in general, you should be able to take a week off and yeah. have your business continue to run. Yeah, maybe you get a couple phone calls or something. You know, some of the other things that uh, we talked about accurate financials, right? Um, yeah. We've talked about dependence versus independence. I, I have kind of my checklist that I go through with people when they called or I get uh, messaged every day about, oh, I'm thinking about selling my business. And one of the big things is, is called reoccurring revenue, right? Or look at it as contracts. Um, so if you have um, this reoccurring revenue that people have signed one year, two year, three year contracts, then that raises the value of your business a ton, simply because now if someone does buy your business, they have some assurity that these contracts, you know, that they'll continue to make money um, because there is that, you know, that risk that when ownership changes, sometimes the clientele changes a little bit, you know. Yeah. Going back to the restaurant example, we see that all the time, you know, a restaurant that you love and you love going to has great food, great service, you know, everything. And then they'll get new management or new owners and it's not the same place anymore. You know, the, the service isn't as good, the food's cold, you know, or they burn the food or whatever. And it's just, it's not the way that you were used to it. And clients at restaurants don't have contracts. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I don't have any contracts with any company except Taco Bell. So <laughs> like, I, I can't, you know, give my loyalty to any one company except for Taco Bell. By the way, Nacho Fries are now back at Taco Bell. Uh, and they are fantastic. So uh, absolutely, Michael. Michael's like looking at me right now. Like, I can't tell if this guy is joking or not. And he wants to know. And he, he also wants to try the nacho fries. Our go, regular listeners know that um, we really want Taco Bell to be one of our sponsors. And so Nate actually brings it up. If he doesn't, I do every episode. I actually don't eat a lot there, but that's all Nate talks about. But so when you're getting your business ready for sale, I think when it comes down to being able to take that time off, or like Nate says, if a restaurant is sold to another uh, individual, it comes back to are your systems in place? You know, one of my favorite books is E Myth. Michael Gerber talks about specifically about how McDonald's became who they are. And if anybody's seen the movie on Netflix, you know about it. Um, how he made this restaurant to where it doesn't matter where you go anywhere in the world, you're going to get the same thing at every place. 
is that if you have those systems in place, and I know that's actually one of the services your businesses provides is helping get systems in place. And we've talked in the past on a couple of other episodes, um, the way that I do it, kind of the way Nate does it. What are some of your tips for helping these business owners who are now thinking, maybe I do need to have an exit strategy. How can they go about getting things in place so that they can take time off so that they can transition over into someone else and uh, things will run smoothly? Yeah, uh, good question. And yeah, going back to the McDonald's example, right? Remember that scene? I can't remember. What was it called? Founder, I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. the founder. Um, they're on the tennis court and they're mapping out the this kitchen, basically, with chalk, I think. And they're trying to figure yeah. out what, what would be the most seamless way to do this, you know, to make the food. And, you know, I, th- I thought that scene was interesting. Um, lots of times, business owners kind of need to do the same thing. Maybe not physically speaking, but I'm talking more stuff like simple org charts and job descriptions. If someone's going to come in and buy your business, they need to know what Jill's responsibilities exactly, who does she report to and who reports to her and what what is she responsible for? And Bob, what does he do? And it needs to all make sense. If it's just, oh, we've been working together for 20 years and I'm sorry that a lot of buyers look at that as just a hot mess. Like, oh my gosh, I don't even know where to start. So coming into it clean that you can show that you've mapped it out, you've thought it through, you've diagrammed it and it makes sense, goes a long way. Yeah, I love that you bring that up. That's that's one thing that I hadn't thought of. Like I yeah, I've thought of the systems and processes and you know, all of these type of things and operations and but an org chart, that makes total sense. Cause yeah, I've even come in and worked with companies before. Like one of my favorite clients right now is also sometimes I feel like a complete disorganized mess in that sort of thing. It's like, who am I supposed to be communicating with in regards to this? You know, and it's like, sometimes it'll be the CEO that's emailing. He actually even apologized the other day. He goes, I apologize. I thought there was some confusion there from here on out only speak with Jay in regarding this topic. And I was like, you're right. That's what I was trying to do. And then you swooped in and he kind of called himself out. He was like, that was my bad. I shouldn't have stepped in because that's Jay's role. You know, that's not my role as the CEO. And I think, you know, you see a successful company and they are going to have that org chart laid out. It's what are Jay's responsibilities? What are Dan's responsibilities? You know, that type of thing. I know we keep coming back to this, but if your goal really is to establish a a strong business and to provide good products or services and to make some money, if those are really the goals, then you can start delegating off responsibilities. You can start doing some follow-up and you don't need to be in charge of everything. However, if your goal is, oh man, I want to, you know, I I get my self-worth from doing, then yeah, maybe you do need to do it all because that's what you intend to do this for life. And that's your goal. And that's fine. Some people run businesses like that and they're Mm -hmm. all over there everywhere. I think most people would like to provide something meaningful to the world and turn a profit at the same time. And if eventually possibly sell it, if that's the case, then yeah, start quarterly you know, just review where, where are we at? Do we have clear delineations of work, you know? And, and that's it, by the way, that's another good way of making sure that, you know, you have less turnover because then you're looking at it objectively and you're able to say, oh my gosh, I had no idea that Jill is carrying so much responsibility. Maybe we need to 
you know, dish some of this over on Bob. Look what he's carrying. You know what I mean? It's just right. sometimes people don't tell you unless you ask them. And that just strengthens your business as well. I actually yeah. had a client once who contacted me for help with the sales funnel. And again, it turned into a business flip um, because what happened was I found out that the, the owner of the business, her husband had quit his job to stay home and help her with the business. And she had four people working with her. And over the course of working with her to build this sales funnel, we realized there was a lot of other things wrong with her business. And one of the things was that her list of things to do was too long. So I had her write down on a piece of paper. Um, actually, I told her initially post-it notes, but it got to be ridiculous. So everybody else had a post-it note and she had like five sheets of paper of things that she was responsible for. And I was like, okay, you need to go through this darling and figure out what other people need to take over because you're, you're going to burn out. It's not going to work. You can't do your courses. You can't, you know, you can't serve your customers in this, in this way where you are the only one basically running the business and yet everybody else is getting paid. It doesn't work that way. And there certainly is not a sellable business to do it that way either. When people start doing their due diligence, right. To buy a business and they start looking at these things more. I've had people actually go to the flower shop and want to spend a day there and walk to see how things work and how the, it doesn't matter what kind of business it is. If someone's going to drop some cash on the business, they're going to be paying attention to every little detail. And so, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just good business practice to have org charts and job descriptions, um, have accurate financials. It's, it's how you should proceed if in your business anyway, but definitely if you're planning on selling within, you know, a couple of years. No, you're, you're absolutely right. It's to go back to like the home analogy, like when you're selling a home, because uh, a lot of us probably have related to that, either buying or selling or even just moving in and out. You might need to, you know, paint the front door, remove the, the bush in the backyard that's overgrown, you know, type of thing. And those are the type of things that, yeah, you should have been taking care of while you were living in the house anyway, but you kind of don't, okay, fine. I got to finally finish that honey to-do list, you know, uh, that our honeys make for us. And the, the business, I think, is kind of the same way. So, Michael, the question is, if we have all of our ducks in order, you know, and we've got, okay, we, we, we're doing our financials right. By the way, I love that we're having this conversation right now because I'm actually meeting with my CPA tonight. And so now I can go into that meeting and that conversation with uh, another attitude or a different mindset of, okay, let's also prepare for when we're going to sell this business. So thank you for that. First of all, high five. Let's say we, we've got all of that in, in place as, as a business owner. Now, now what are the next steps? Like how long do we need to start before we want to sell it? How long does that selling process take normally? When do we yeah. need to start planning? If it's, is it six months before? Is it a year before? It depends on a lot of things. It depends on the vertical, the, the industry. It depends right. on the market, you know, like last year, 2020 was kind of all over the place. Right. And so things can change at any moment. Right. And so I would always uh, recommend a business, give themselves a year just to be safe. Like okay. I've seen businesses go pretty fast. I mean, you can do it under a month. I, I call myself a matchmaker. I'm really, what I'm trying to do is I, I have, you know, buyers that I know they're looking at things in these general areas or these verticals or they're looking for this amount of revenue you know it's it's a whole variety of things then i have people who are trying to sell and it's kind of trying to match make and find the right fit and it doesn't always happen right away if you think about you know when you're looking for a car 
once in a while you you see that car and you're like oh that's exactly what i wanted it's a make model it's got the extra whatnots on it and you're like i gotta have that and so that can happen and it does once in a while but most of the time it takes a lot of effort <laughs> to look search around honestly if someone's looking at putting their business up to sale don't expect it to sell within a month or two it's going to take many times a little bit of time especially if you want the highest value for it right if you if you show up on my doorstep and say oh i need to sell this and i've got three weeks and that's happened a few times then you're you're kind of like okay i'll do the best i can backstep just a little bit and say okay well and I have people who approach me a couple of years in advance and say, hey, look, I'm, I'm not ready to sell right now, but I kind of need to start putting my ducks in a row. And that's great. You know, that's two years is better than nothing for sure. Because go back to the house analogy. Some things are pretty easy to change, right? Painting the front door, that's easy. You know, planting a few tulips out front, whatnot. But what, what happens if the roof is bad, right? That's not a simple expense that you can just, or you can't, you know, usually do that overnight. You have to kind of plan on that type of thing. And so right. some things, it takes a little bit of discussion and a little bit of planning to, to be ready to, to optimally sell your business, right? Because I always want to help people get what their businesses are worth. And frankly, they sometimes come to me a little late, so I, I, I can't help them as much as I would like. Every business has a story. And the stories are the fun part, right? Right. And, and so what I typically, that's one of the first things I ask actually is, you know, what's the story behind why this business started? Why are you selling? Because buyers always want to know, oh, you know, are they getting sued? You know, they always tend to think of the worst case scenario. Right. You know, sometimes it's simple, like, oh, they're just want to retire. Right. They're moving out of the country or who knows, but whatever the case may be, there's always a story associated with that and and so i try to understand what they've been through what they're going through and then i try to couch it or present it in the mo in the best way for the seller so that it it's both accurate but it's also helpful to the sale sometimes um, sellers aren't super polished and they don't know how to present their businesses really right. well and um, so i try to help them like okay, after spending all this time with you, these are the value points that I see. And most right. of the time, oh my gosh, that's a ton of value. So the story, the value, I mentioned the reoccurring revenue, but there's also um, different revenue streams. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, So multiple revenue channels are, are critical, right? For bringing top value for a business. So think of a widget, for instance. Mm -hmm. you, know, you, can, you can make some money selling that in the store, you know, wholesaling it and making some money that way, or you can sell it online, right? Mm. Or you can do both. And then you can, of course, do events and different, you know, there's lots of ways right. to make money. And sometimes businesses, they start making money one way and they just kind of run with it. And then by talking to someone like me, you know, maybe a little bit prior to a sale, they can, they can identify, oh, well, why, why aren't you doing this? Oh, well, I guess I just never thought about it a few times, but I never got around to it or I didn't, you know, want to put money into it, but I've got money. to, You know what I mean? And so right. multiple revenue challenges adds immense value to a business. 
something always goes wrong, right? So if something happens over here, you're still making money over here. You know, a lot of people in 2020 had to pivot their businesses. And a lot of them that I found were successful already had a foot in the door of the way they were pivoting toward. It was, yeah, this is already another stream of revenue. Let's now focus our energy more on that. Maybe they were doing online events and in-person events and in-person events were 90% and online were 10%. And they said, well, hold on, we can't have in-person events anymore. So let's take it and push all of our energy into online events. But when I say all of their energy, it might be, okay, now let's move 90% there and let's take the 10% and go focus it somewhere else and try to learn and adapt in new areas. When things have value, you know, it's going to cost money to sell. So how much is, does it cost? What are the costs involved? Yeah, it's a really good question. Uh, most brokers will, will charge you an upfront engagement fee and it depends on the size of the business, but even a small business, even if you're selling a $10,000 business, um, an online business, let's say you're selling something on yeah. Shopify, you're, they're still going to charge you $3,000 just to list your business. Okay. And so that can be very burdensome on businesses. Um, there's also uh, business brokers will also sell, generally sell you what's called a biz, uh, broker opinion of value, which is usually anywhere between 500 bucks to a thousand bucks. But it's basically them saying, based on what I've seen, I think your business is worth this. It's not They're appraising the business. Yeah. yeah, it's it's kind of a basic appraisal. It's not a formal valuation. If you want a formal valuation, I've seen those go anywhere from $10,000 to a couple hundred thousand dollars. Right. Valuations are extremely expensive, but oftentimes businesses don't, don't need a full valuation, if, especially if it's a smaller business under five, half a million dollars in revenue. Yeah. Sometimes it's a little overkill. Businesses typically need the big out, big full on valuations if they're going public. Right. You know, then, then you need a full out evaluation or if there's some kind of lawsuit, you know, or divorce or something, they're trying to see who, who gets what, right. but in a lot of cases, you don't need those hundred page valuations. You, you, you can get a pretty good little valuation done for 10, $15,000. I have sources where I provide that those for free. Uh, I have three different sources I use. So I would shop around um, and I also don't charge any fees up front, you know, whereas brokers typically charge that. So the way they'll, they'll get some fees up front to pay for stuff and then they'll do the broker opinion value and then they'll take a percentage. It's usually 15% or 12 and a half if the upfront costs go down. I do 10% and sometimes even lower for, for friends and stuff. So you can definitely shop around don't just take the first guy that says I can sell your business, you know, shop around and see, see right. what they can offer. Just like you would with a real estate agent selling houses. Like don't just go to the first person you flip to in the yellow pages, go shop around, see the different value, make sure that you connect with the person, make sure that they see the value in your business. So I love that, you know, you mentioned that one of the first things you, you ask clients is kind of to tell them the story, right? And I think that's important because if you have an understanding of where their story is, you're going to be able to help them sell that and articulate that story better. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Bringing in a broker to help you sell your business. 
Um, pretty much all of them are exclusive, meaning that even if they don't help you, once you sign that paperwork with them, mm-hmm. if you find someone at church, you know, two days later that wants to buy it or golfing or you're camping and you run it, it doesn't matter. You're paying them regardless. And that's a, that is another difference that I do. I, I've never believed in exclusivity. It's your business. You do what you need to do. If I bring you value, then I get paid. But I'm telling you, most brokers, pretty much every broker doesn't work like that. It's exclusive. There's upfront costs. Their valuations are expensive. So yeah, make sure you're, you're looking at the, the fine print, you know, when you go into it for sure, because you can't, it's, you have to wait. Like if the fine print says a year, I've had people contact me say, Oh, I want you to help me, but um, I've got to wait three months until my contract. So he's done nothing for me. So change to the fine print and say, no, we'll do it month to month or something instead of a year agreement where I'm paying you all this and there's no guarantee that you're even going to bring value. Uh, Back to your earlier question, how long does it take? I mean, sometimes it's a year and they haven't brought any value. So shifting, pivoting over to the story piece, and I'm glad you brought that up. Story is everything, right? That's what people love is stories. And so um, a good broker is going to try to understand, well, what why did you even get into this? And there's usually a fun story behind how you even started that business. You should know that because then you can communicate that and, and it engenders, you know, a love of the business and it gets people more interested in the business. Now on the flip side, why are you selling the business? There needs to be very clear uh, articulated reasoning for selling the business because people mm-hmm. will ask, so why are you selling the business? And they're waiting to hear Oh, because, you know, it's diving faster than I can support and I'm losing money month over month. Not the best answer when you're no, no. no. and, and that may be the case, I guess, but there's probably a better story behind it. Like, oh my gosh, my son has cancer and it's just really thrown my family for a loop. And we've done everything we can to keep this business running. And, uh, you know, I want it to continue. So we're going to you know, pass the baton on to someone else who feels passionate about this, this particular business and who can really build it. And that's a better story than saying, oh, blah, 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 everything's bad. Well, yeah. I think when it, when you talk about story too, is that you want not only the broker who's selling it to understand why you're passionate about it, but also the person who's buying it, you want their story to be similar to yours when you first started, right? You want them to have that passion for why are they buying it? Because I know if, if I sold my business, I would want to make sure that the person who's buying it is going to take care of my clients the way that I did. And that won't happen if they're just buying it because they're just bulk buying businesses to tear them apart or they're buying businesses, you know, because it's making money and they're going to pass it off to somebody else. You want them to have the same passion that you do, especially if you're like an entrepreneur like Nate and I, we blood, sweat, and tears, and everything else goes into our business, like we've talked about in our last episode, is our baby. It's everything to us, and unfortunately, our family has sacrificed. Our personal um, time has sacrificed. We've sacrificed everything to build this and to have somebody buy it who is not passionate about it. That I don't know how many zeros that adds to it, but I know for me, it means a lot. That's a great point. Some sellers really care a lot about that, and I would say for the most part, most do right? They've worked hard at it. They've built it up. They want to pass it off to the right person. Some don't. They're just like, oh, I need to sell this and cash it out, so to speak. 
I would say that most sellers are interviewing potential buyers as much as the buyers are interviewing them. So a lot of times I'll try to get the, the sellers and the buyers on, on this, you know, in a meeting, whether it's Zoom or in person, so they can kind of start to get to know each other and feel out, could this work? And, and sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm really excited about that. This could be great. And, you know, it's, it's not a great fit or the seller isn't, doesn't like the buyer. And guess what? Sometimes buyers think that they're all that and they didn't do a good job selling themselves either. The seller can say no. You can always say no. If you exactly. don't feel comfortable, like what Sheila was saying, if you don't feel like the person can take over your business and your legacy properly, you can say no. You can say no. Let's let's get somebody new in here. Well, Michael, um, your information is truly valuable because they do need to start today, whether they think they're going to or not. Start mm -hmm. thinking about it. I would bet that 99% of the people who come to you uh, to sell their business, the very first problem they find is that their books are not quite what they should be <laughs> and ready to sell a business. Because in order to run the books yourself, you have a different standard than maybe what a buyer might be looking for. So thanks so much for being on the episode today. So if people, if they love, you know, our listeners, if they love what you had to say, um, again, share your website uh, and where else they can go to find more information about you. I talk with people every day. People just call me up and say, hey, I'm thinking about, what do you think about this? You know, it's, we can call it a consultation or not, but I, I try to help people out as much as I can, whether it's going to pay off immediately or down the road or sometimes through referrals. But uh, Sheila mentioned the business name. Uh, business resource, but it's spelled kind of funky with a Z. Pretend you're in first grade and spelling phonetically. So it's B-I-Z-N-I-S uh, businessresource.com. So you're welcome to go online and ping me. Or you're also welcome to call me directly at 385-528-8584. Yeah, thanks, Michael. Super helpful, Michael. Thanks for having me. We'll see you next time. Listening to today's episode of The Messy Back End. We know, we know you can't get enough of us. So have us on your podcast or have us speak at your next event. Visit themessybackend.com slash speaking and send us your event details. It's true. We love speaking. And we also want to thank our sponsor, Yes Women's Network, where you will find the connections you need to achieve your dreams. Find out more at yeswomensnetwork.com. Also, our advertiser, PodServe FM. We couldn't do it without them. They get your podcast hosted and published quickly and easily. Visit them at podserve.fm slash messy to find out more. And a thank you to our advertiser, Thrivecart. They are the number one shopping cart software that grows your income from existing traffic with high converting checkout pages, upsells, and affiliate campaigns. Watch the video for how simple this cart solution is at themessybackend.com slash cart. Once again, don't miss an episode. Head on over to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe today. That's all we have for today's episode of The Messy Backend. I'm Ella Glasgow, the general contractor of virtual events, founder of Beyond Virtual Events, where we create done-for-you, stress-free virtual events. And I don't know about you, but I'm feeling like my backend is getting clearer with every episode. 
I can tell you from my experience that keeping a solid eye on our mission to pull up on the greatness in people has been a key to the success of our business. Join us again next week as experts share more customized business advice and tips about all the messy stuff that goes on in the back end of entrepreneurship. Remember, you're not alone. Every business has a messy back end that needs a little attention. So Nate, what's your background? Uh, are you talking about my Zoom background or like my business background? Because I, re I really love my Zoom background. She will like it too. But no, my, all the time. my Sheila is in charge of all of the other back end stuff, which is why I get to tease her when something slips through the cracks like this, because I literally had nothing to do with it. And it, she is running the entire show. It's really so good at throwing me under the bus too. I, I can just. Well, no, no, what I'm getting at is that she like does everything no and I literally just come so, up. Yeah, no wonder she's so tired, right? <laughs> right yeah. I know, I keep trying to tell her, I was like, Sheila, what do you want me to do? And she's like, just keep showing up. I'm like, okay, cool. You I'm, want to do the editing, Nate? Because I'm I did not sure. say that, no. See, that, see, that's what I need help with. And so I don't, not to even ask you that. <laughs> okay, so That's what she loves editing, right, Sheila? You love editing those things, yeah? Now you're muted, Sheila. I do love doing the blooper reels. I do. I admit it. Because yeah. I usually make Nate the center of the blooper Usually all the thing, the dumb things that I say, is, you know, <laughs> that's when she gets to throw me back under the bus. It's, it's just fine. You're not going to help with the editing? Well, I got to edit you the way that I want you to be. Here's your burping blooper reel. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> You're like, I got, I got to go. It's I'm like, I literally funny. could not even wait 10 more minutes. I'm like, this is like, We'll retire. Jim Rohn's once said, oh, not Rohn's. Jim Rohn once said, either run the day or it, or the. <laughs> it's okay. My kids are coming downstairs. They're being really noisy. Can you hear them? I, I heard something and that's kind of what threw me off. So let me just say that last part again. Jim Rohn. Well, stop typing, Sheila. Yeah, well, sorry, I'm telling them to be quiet. I can't do it. <laughs>